Yesterday we asked people to do a thing. To do a thing. We asked we told them that we would send them a like a gif. I don't know what we said. Oh, I know. They could ask any question they wanted to ask and me and Sean would yeah, answer we'll, it. We'll do a Q&A. And in exchange they had to subscribe, unsubscribe and subscribe again. We're trying to game <laughs> the podcast ranking system. I love it. We're willing to have our our real listeners kind of click farm it, but we're not just being, you know, paying somebody in the Philippines to do it. That's we, our line. I'm down to do it. No, I'll do that. <laughs> okay, well, so far that's been our line. <laughs> um, we dropped the stew episode today. Uh, people are liking that. Dude, Christians everywhere are are hitting me up. Oh yeah. <laughs> the CEO of Pray reached out. I was like, hey, dude, we've been because we've been we've been talking about religious stuff for like two or three it's been a theme across a couple episodes and we went super deep on it I don't know if you listened to the one with Stu and uh, so a bunch of people who are like church tech a bunch of church tech entrepreneurs reached out I had a rabbi email me really about this podcast um, I also had another guy email me saying I'm out of a job and Stu's gonna replace me and for the record I'm great with that <laughs> uh, I'm totally fine with that okay so we have a guest here you want to yeah what's yourself? up who are you hey how's it going um my name is Zach Kukoff. I'm an investor at Emergence Capital. We're an early stage enterprise SaaS fund. We're known for investing in Salesforce, Box, Yammer, Zoom, Viva, Gusto, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a pretty cool job to get to meet with some of the most interesting people in the world all the time. I get to be a dumbest guy in the room, although we'll see after this room at the end of the podcast how I'm feeling on that right. one. Yeah, you should uh, be the smart guy here. So, yeah. so I got all my bad jokes at the end. Just keep the good jokes in, get rid of the bad jokes. So, so that portfolio is pretty badass. You said Salesforce, Zoom, yeah. Yammer, blah, blah, blah. Are those like you guys get in that series D and yeah, you just yeah, get the logo right. or did you like actually invest yeah. before so we, it was obvious we predominantly invest in series a uh, I'd say we do about 85% series a 15% series B zoom. We're the largest investor of Viva. We were the only, what's uh, Viva Viva systems was a pharmaceutical R and D still is a pharmaceutical. Damn, so R&D. Big, uh, that sounds huge. Already. Yeah. It's a huge, I mean, think about it for a second, like, you know, 10 years ago, right? Nobody was thinking about vertical SaaS as an investable category. Everybody, the conventional wisdom was, oh, SaaS is a small category, but sort of if you go horizontal across 30 different industries, maybe there's enough investable space there. And Viva was the first multi-billion dollar hit in vertical SaaS. It was kind of Salesforce, but just for pharmaceutical companies. And they've done phenomenally well. We were the only institutional investor who led their Series A, and they went straight from Series A to IPO. So a huge, huge outcome there. Right. And before this, you worked at Flexport, and then uh, you had your own thing. Yeah, years and years ago, back in 2011, uh, started a company called Truant Today in the EdTech space. And we can talk all about that because that was uh, a very fun experience. Ask us how we know each other. Uh, I asked them how they know each other. Let's hear the answer. How do you guys know it? Don't know each other. We we met downstairs. Uh, He's a funny guy on Twitter. And I was like, hey, funny guy of Twitter. Come uh, come, on, come on the podcast. I think the exact response was, all right, go. Make me laugh. Yeah. Make yeah. me dance. Dance for me. Yeah. Um, wait, what do you mean he's funny? Uh, he's he's like, witty. Yeah, what do you mean I'm funny? Please like say funny nice looking, things. Like, like okay, I'm going to I'm gonna find one of your tweets that's funny. Oh, but um, Like, do you make, like, wisecracks? I mean, yeah, like, he's trying to make a joke. Cracks? I would say I make a At whose expense? My own, mostly. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, some occasionally some others, too. We were talking before we started recording about the uh, recent hot take on whether or not employers should offer equity. That was pretty fertile ground. Like, there are a lot of the truth is Twitter is this weird engine where it rewards people for saying pretty dumb things all the time. And so I find it funny to comment on a lot of the things I think are, are not particularly well reasoned that people sort of just tweet out without thinking. Right. Particularly well known or influential people who you feel like should probably know better. 
and yet instead just constantly say dumb stuff online. You want to give an example? Uh, I think that equity things are pretty good example. Right? Like <laughs> for those who, who may not have seen, uh, Jason Freed of Basecamp was tweeting about uh, the fact that employers shouldn't offer employees equity in their company, right? Which I think on the face of it, you think about like tech as a wealth creation engine, which we were talking about beforehand a little bit too. The engine of wealth creation, it's not cash comp, it's equity, right? It's the ability to be 27, 28, 30, a relatively young person come into a startup and almost win the lottery in a serious way. It doesn't mean that everybody who joins a tech company is going to have a $5 million outcome at the end right. of the So what did Jason say? Jason said people, employers shouldn't offer equity to employees. And I, Why? Actually, so his take, yeah. if I'm Jason, and I like Jason, he's a, yeah, he's a good guy. I don't know if we're friends, but we know each other. Um, he, he basically was like, you know, uh, what tech companies do is they sort of lowball you on the cash side, pr- offer you this promise of equity, which most likely turns out to zero, and you're left holding a losing lottery ticket. Uh, better to just pay people, treat them well, give them great perks, give them good work-life balance. That's how you should compensate people. Well, so the that's his take. Of, the first part of that is right. Uh, the second part is wrong. The first part is saying that people lowball on cash and offer equity instead. Yeah, yeah like because they don't I, have money. I don't know that I. So it's risk adjusted, I think. Right? Like, here's what I saw. I saw a take, and I forgot who said it, but I'm gonna totally rip it off. Which was, if you think about the number of companies hiring people and who kind of weight that by the equity offered, it's predominantly like later stage companies that are really making equity offers, and really a lot of Fang companies are making offers, right? Yeah, but those aren't startups. Those aren't startups. So cut out like anything public. But even if you just weight private companies offering start like equity. There are many, many more jobs at these later stage companies where the equity has some defined value and is unlikely to go to zero. It may not have exponential upside that's unbounded, but it's unlikely to go to zero. And the cash comp is pretty good, or at least relative to what you would make working for a non-tech company of the same size. Definitely an early stage. You can get lowballed on cash and make it up in equity. I think lowballs are all, uh, not a good... Yeah, that's his terminology, but... You, you just pay less. Yeah, maybe you're making a little bit less on cash, but if you're working for like a Series D startup, you're probably making a pretty good cash comp base, and you have real upside in the equity portion, too. Like, I think that's well, the part that's missing. His other piece was like, oh, because you have equity, hey, you got skin in the game, you should work your ass off for this, and your skin in the game is like, whatever, 0.1% of the company, and he's saying, that's not actually having skin in the game. So that was his take he triggered everybody which i think is his goal with 90 percent of these right is like to trigger silicon valley yeah. and then therefore stand out as the contrast the anti-silicon valley that's yeah, the brand it's a good one. and he plays it like a fiddle it's awesome so let's talk about this is related your flexport no before that he said he raised money i want to and he said it turned into yeah, nothing yeah. well wait but but, yeah. but the flexport one is actually the perfect example you worked at flexport which well, was a employee were you which was a a hot startup. 200? I don't know. I, I okay. So you joined at 200. How did you think about your cash versus yeah, equity? What was the equation you did in your head? I mean, I think it actually does help the back up a little bit to, this, to my startup first, and then we can kind of come back to Flexport. So think about my startup, I started really early. It was 2011. I was 16. Oh. And it wasn't like, to be clear, like, this was not, yeah, this was like, a, I'm, a, I'm still fairly young. And I was really young then. And I didn't know what I didn't know to a large extent. And so I sort of stumbled into startups. You want to contrast for a minute. I think the Flexport approach was pretty well-reasoned versus my startup when literally it was a science fair project that I ended up raising some money and going to tech stars for, right? Like, I had no idea what was going on. I was frantically kind of paddling. Did you drop out? Uh, So I actually left my sophomore year of high school early. I, like, took AP tests and I was like, peace, I'm out of here. And I spent the, like, three months in Boulder, Colorado for Techstars. Back when Techstars was, like, two locations or three locations. It was, like, Boulder, Boston, Seattle. How old are you? I'm 25 now. So I was, yeah, I was young then. I'm still pretty young now. Look, I think so at least. 
And so that was like very much not a well considered. It wasn't like I was thinking about this move and I was like, oh, I've evaluated all the options in my opportunity space and I'm going just for the one that I think has the highest upside in learning or, or value or whatever. It was one of these situations where I fell into it. It became a really steep growth curve, but I couldn't have predicted that at the outset. Versus Flexport, where I was... Well, how much did you raise for that one? Uh, we raised about 250K. So we didn't okay. raise a ton of money. And it went out of business. Yeah, it went out of business. I mean, did was, you ever make revenue? We made some revenue, and we had some actually some partnerships that went in. But the challenge was I was 16, and my two co-founders were 17. They, yeah, so like, who's going like, to take you seriously? Well, actually, we It's like funded via day, allowance. Yeah. <laughs> 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 because my lemonade stands spun into this. No, I mean, listen, we've raised a little bit of money, but the challenge was uh, we actually had some investor interest. And one of my co-founders had just gotten into Stanford. And his parents said to him, if you stop, take time off from Stanford to go to a startup, that's it. We're disowning you. Like, we're, we're cold shoulder froze. Is he Asian? Yeah, the guy, he was Asian. <laughs> listen, I grew up in an immigrant house. <laughs> All I, my Asian friends, their parents said the same exact thing. So if you take time off to do a startup, that's it. My folks were pretty supportive, but at that point, if you're losing one of the two co-founders of a company, your fundraising prospects it's go tough. from pretty good to not great. And still, by the way, I was 17 at that point, so I was still really, really young by you know by relation. That's kind of one end of the extreme. The well, other, we have these guys who work out here, Andy and Alice, and they have a company that makes, I won't reveal it, but yeah. it's a great company, yeah. a great business to own. And their parents were like, when are you going to go back to being a, yeah. a consultant? Mm. And they're both uh, have Chinese parents, like from China. <laughs> and so it's I've hard. learned all about the Asian culture this well, way. It's this like very, you know, my parents are both, uh, I guess, second generation. Their parents were immigrants, right? And there's very, from, where? Uh, from Italy on one side and from Eastern Europe and Argentina on the other side. And so it's this very like traditional immigrant mentality, which is, which is, by the way, been the right, like, if you were to pick a choice, for the vast majority of time in America, the better wealth creation tool was to go to college, go to grad school, become a white collar professional. That was the successful path for a long time. It's only recently that kind of playing the startup lottery, for lack of a better term, has been the successful choice. And so for these, you know, my immigrant grandparents, their attitude was they're gonna work hard. You know, my great grandfather was a factory worker in Argentina, right? And he worked his ass off so that my mother and grandmother could be school teachers. So that in their minds, I could go get you know a PhD or an MD or whatever, become a professional, and clearly that's not necessarily happening. But that was like that was the the life plan for immigrant families in this country for generations was every generation one more level of educational attainment, which correlates with one more level of professional success. And only recently has that been decoupled. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then so so you go to you go to Flexport. So you were yeah, saying yeah, yeah. have that experience. Cool. You're now 17, 18. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, did the startup, like, 1718, decided to go to college, um, went to NYU, a really special program there called Gallatin, where you basically make up your own major. And so the whole school is, uh, it's like Build-A-Bear University is what I used to joke about. But it's really, like, you can do independent study, you can do work study, you can do classes, you sort of, like, hodgepodge this program together. That's cool. Uh, and then while I was there, I was helping run Dorm Room Fund, which is First Town Capital's college university fund. It's uh, about a million dollar a year. Actually, it might be more than that. I'm not sure now. But a million dollar a year vehicle just for investing at pre-seed or uh, student founders. And is this cool. shit a good idea, investing in these young-ass kids? I think yeah, how's Dormer, Dormer Fund's been around for a while. How, well, how does it done? This a fucking horrible idea. Dormer well, we have the, the experiment ran. What, what happened? The experiment ran. It was a pretty successful experiment. What, what came out of it? What was... Uh... I mean, there have been some... Listen, there have been some pretty big hits and there have been some pretty big misses. You know, I think about a big hit, like Fiscal Note's done pretty well at a Dormer Fund. Bevy, the beverage company's done pretty well at a Dormer Fund. Brooklyn. Wait, those Lins. guys were... Yeah, student founders. Yeah, Brooklyn the linens company and i'm sure i'm gonna get probably railed on twitter after for not having come up with the whole portfolio but i'm right. sure there are more that i can't think of 
And then on the Mrs. side, you have like Lily AI, which is the other. If you guys remember Lily Drones, yeah, oh yeah, yeah they like raised um, huge failure. Yeah, they raised like I don't know, like thirty million something. Like that. I can't remember the exact number. They raised a bunch, then kind of flamed out. And that's the the counter side too. Is you can have people who and I remember it when I was one. Or inexperienced founders don't know how to manage. And what's the what's the one out of Berkeley? There's another. Uh, there's a Berkeley specific yeah. fund. Oh, Jeremy house. runs. Yeah, yeah the, the house. house. Yeah, Jeremy's great. And yeah. then the Peter Thiel thing, dude. I'm down. Like, yeah. if you're like old enough to be an adult and st- that start something, yeah. but I also think that you should just be getting drunk and like hooking up with people and mm. yeah, get like, drunk and kiss some people. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, that's our that, fellowship, that, I, the I, Sam I, and Sean I, fellowship. I mean, live a little, uh, like, booze yeah. and kiss him. Like. <laughs> And then give it, then give it up. Go keto and start intermittent fasting after that. Yeah, (laughs) that's the life plan. Five a.m. like a little bit later, but stay up until five a.m. At least when you're in the next one. I mean, listen, there's like an important socialization element of college, which helps you learn emotional maturity and learn how to deal with people. And it's tough if you don't have that. I don't know when you make it up. Certainly, don't make it up by moving straight out here and working really hard early. Oh, plus you don't make friends, dude. You don't make friends after you graduate. Your friends yeah. are who you who you met in college, and then the rest are just you just go to work and then you go home and you're like, wait, where do people make friends after that? There's no more friends. Mm-hmm. I'm like Uncle Rico. Like I think of college, I'm like, oh, I would kill to go back. Yeah, give it all up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like yeah. Ishan, who produces the podcast, he's always like, oh, well, you know, you know, he's like 2021. 20, he's like, well, you have you know experience, you have capital, you have this network, you have. I'm like, dude, I would give all of it up just to be right back where you are in your position right now. Like, I'll trade you if we can do some totally. Freaky Friday I thing. Completely agree. Yeah. We we remember that young guy. At, oh, you were there. We met a young guy at our meetup, and he was like 21, and he flew up, and like. Wow. So, like, if I was if I was eighteen and I lived and I went to NYU, yeah. I would be not be in the dorm. I would only do the dorm room fun if it helped me meet girls. <laughs> I mean, if you're in Soho uh, and you're eighteen, that's the dream. NYU was a really fun college to go to, and, and certainly uh, had a really fun time there. But here's the flip side of it, right? Like, I, I see the other side of this, which is. It does feel today like there are compounding effects, both reputationally and professionally. So working and exposing yourself to like some kind of real tangible ownership of work really early. And the earlier you can do that, whether it's like a startup or working for a large company in a significant role or building some reputation, even if it's just tweeting dumb jokes on Twitter, like that compounds over time. And if you wait five years, you can you can both have fun and build compounding professional returns at the same time. It's sort of the argument I would make here, right? Like you can do Yeah, you can do both. For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure you can do both. By the way, it's not as fun as just doing the fun. It's not as successful as just doing the success. But a lot of folks try to walk that. Time. But you'll end up way ahead of the curve because yeah, most people right. are just having fun and not doing anything that like yeah, yeah. builds their sort of like career foundation. Uh, ironically, when you're in college, yeah. okay. So you uh, you do all this stuff. Yeah. And by the way, when you said emergence, uh, you really emphasized the C at the end of it. Is it because people think it's emergent capital? So, <laughs> I, I think people. There's a couple things. One is people think it's emergence capital. People think it's like emerge capital. I've heard like five or six different issues with the name. The other thing is our website is emcap.com. And I, when I first joined, I'd say, oh, it's MCAP. And people were like, oh, the letter M and then the you know, C-A-P. Right. I probably Yeah, had, you need to rebrand. I, not up to me. But I probably had like six months of emails I didn't get because people were like, oh, this jerk gave me like a wrong email address at that party. Yeah, it's bouncing. I was screaming MCAP at the top of my lungs. People were like, oh, yeah, like Zach MCAP. M-C-A-P. Right. So if it were up to me, it'd be a different URL. 
All right, so let's get to some of your ideas. Yeah. Uh, also, I promise you're a funny guy, and I found a tweet from you. Oh, perfect. Uh, okay, so Bird. Did you hear about this Bird launch Bird Pay? Uh, so yeah, yeah. Bird scooters launch Bird Pay. Zach comes in on Twitter, says, when you make scooters, but then you see four fintech companies get acquired in one week, you, you make this pivot. You gotta put a laugh track in yeah. afterwards, so it sounds like the Turns out tweets aren't that funny when you read them out loud later in the public. The room is like dying. No one can hear it, but the room is dying so when you read how, that. How, how big is the fund? Yeah, about a half a billion dollar fund. And how, how, what size checks do you write? It's a good question. Uh, we are less constrained by individual check size. And, and so just from our perspective. Just come on. Right? Give me the yeah, answer. No, so this is the answer. This is the real answer. I, I've been here about a year and a half now. And I've seen us do everything from like 2 million up to like 15 million. So okay, it's, there's it's a my really answer. broad range. So when you're coming from this perspective, are you going to come from this uh, these ideas of you think that wealth creation is in raising money or in owning all of it? Mm. It's a tough. I don't know that the dichotomy really makes a lot of sense from where I'm sitting, but I'm also going to talk my own yeah, book. That is a false dichotomy. I agree yeah, with you. I'm going to talk my own book, but whatever. I guess what I would say is this like, most businesses probably shouldn't raise venture capital. It doesn't mean you shouldn't raise outside capital at all, but like, when you raise venture capital, there's a very specific growth trajectory you are signing up for. And the challenge is that can have a it's unbounded upside, right? Like, there's a huge opportunity if you do that well. And if you don't do that well, it can go to zero really easily. So it's a high risk, high reward sort of life to be in. If you're trying to build, if you're thinking like, I just want to optimize for, I don't know, like what number is I can retire, but I'm not going to buy a yacht. Whatever number that means to you, maybe it's 7 million, maybe it's 10 million, whatever. Like it's likelier to get that by building your own small business and growing sustainably and slowly rather than having a venture sized outcome, whether that's positive or negative. Yeah. I'm going to throw out some bullets. You sent yeah, me some bullet points beforehand. Uh, I just, I don't know what they are. I, I don't know what they mean yet. I just have the headline. So Perfect. deskless workforce. What is yeah, that? Yeah. So that's one area we think a lot about in emergence. And so um, think about like, where do venture capitalists invest, right? Think about like, what are the biases that VCs have? Most VCs invest in things that are pretty easy for them to find, like things that are around them. And so if I think about like every VC I know, where are their investments? It's you know, it's, it's SaaS tools for white collar workers. It's uh, social, consumer social tools. It's like CPG products that have like really pretty subway ads in New York. Right? That's kind of the areas. Coastal, yeah. coastal elite people. A hundred percent. Like yuppies who like have disposable income. Right. You right. get it really right. quickly. You see it. You yeah. know, it. it's like, oh, I viscerally understand this. Like people who listen something. to this shit. Right. <laughs> Anybody listening to this. Yeah. All you yuppies out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get tra- dragged by Chapo later for that one. But yeah, like anybody who's like an upper middle class yuppie is solely in the demographic of venture. And you think about the fact that 80% of workers don't work behind a desk every day. And that doesn't mean they're all blue collar, but it means they might be like a nurse, they might be a doctor, might be a teacher, don't have desks, right? There's a huge segment, particularly in enterprise or, or in um, B2B SaaS, a huge segment of folks who fall into that category. And right now, 1% of venture funding goes to companies that sell to that category. Can you give me an example? Of a company that sells to that category? Uh, no, what you're thinking about. So like an, an example of a company that does it was like a rig up or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Exactly. Um, or like whatever, earn in or something yeah, like that. Or like upkeep is one of ours too, which is down in LA, which is like facilities management. Like any company selling software to a bit, like we have another one. Drishti. Yeah, give, give some So what's uh, a di- what's one yeah, that yeah, you yeah. think could exist okay, that okay. doesn't? Got it, got it, got it. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation still in manufacturing itself. Like, if you think about the line of manufacturing, we have one bet that helps people learn how to do artisanal manufacturing better. So, like, there's a lot of manufacturing that's just put slot A into portion B, and it's sort of wrote over and over again. There's a lot of manufacturing that's human-driven, where you actually have to know some skill to build the thing right. And so we have a bet in that space. When you think about, like, the rest of of a warehouse or a... um, 
the rest of the factory beyond just the line itself, like optimizing how everyone moves, optimizing where you store things, optimizing the actual process and workflow. I think there's a huge opportunity there still. I was in the ed tech back in the day. I think there's a lot of opportunities still in ed tech. That's a huge one that's considered. Can you go back, go back to this first one? Yeah. yeah. What's an example of a factory uh, who would use this? So you can think about, um, okay. I know you guys have a lot of like fulfilled by Amazon guys in the show, right? You can think about any factory in like Shenzhen that's making a bunch of tools. If they could have like a 5% more efficient factory, that's probably creating some real gross margin if that doesn't exist before. It probably gives them some leverage on labor costs they didn't have before. So any factory that's making commodities probably wants to optimize their ability to work quicker because the pricing is an area where they can't really increase the cost. Who's the leader in the space now? A lot of this is Bluefield. A lot of this is like there's not anybody making software for it. Today it's like I have a factory manager who might have a clipboard who walks around and says like, okay, step one is do this thing. Step two is do that thing. And they're on foot saying, hey, make sure you're doing this at this time, teaching a process. And so the question is in the same way that like Salesforce for sales managers created optimization and workflow for those folks to understand the actual levers of their business. Is there like a similar opportunity in manufacturing where you can kind of sit at this higher level and do that as well? Which right. industry would you start at? This is interesting to me. That's a good question. So, so while you think about that for yeah, a sec, yeah. so there's one which is what he's talking about, which is a software tool for to manage the actual work that's yeah. being done. Uh, then there's all the like sort of robotics and automation that's going into these factories to improve them. So like, for example, I was looking at uh, a video of this um, printing factory. So basically they print, uh, you know, if you're wearing, you know, none of us in this room are wearing a pattern, but like, okay, Adam's wearing a striped shirt. So that fabric has to get printed. And basically it gets printed on these like, you know, football field yards of fabric. And then they literally have a guy and the guy's job, there's a machine that unspools it really fast. And he's just looking for defects. So he's just staring at it, not blinking. And he's just looking. Where was this? Does the does the do all the stripes in look America? right in in China? And so I was just thinking, like, this is something that a camera with computer vision does way better than a human who's got to stand there and be like, yeah. "Is there any defect? Is there a defect?" It's like QA, right? Quality control. You know, this guy's literally just staring at this thing as it unspools the whole roll, and then he's like, "Yep, look good." Or if he if he sees something, he has to hit the button, rewind the spool, and be like. Oh, no, it was fine. Sorry, continue. You see that shit all the time. Uh, yeah. Have you seen on the... the remember, the, the, did you ever watch that TV show, How It's Made? Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that show. Really and you see it all the time, like, at, where they're yeah. making candy and shit and Hershey's. Right. They're you know just, the, like, staring at it. You know the Twitter account, Machine Picks? No. Right. It's the same thing. It's How It's Made, just on Twitter. It's phenomenal. You machine Picks. You through and see, like, thousands of really cool examples of machines you never thought about. So I think that's, like, one opportunity. The other thing is, if you particularly think about, like, really high margin goods. I think about an iPhone for a minute, right? Like our phone, iPhone is a big margin attached to it. Every component Apple has like some presumably upsell they're paying that manufacturer for. That's the kind of situation where there may be humans who still do a lot of that work because it's, it's too much finesse for a robot to do effectively. It's not the stare at this like thing unblinking for five right. hours until your eyes give out. It's right. Machine, Peel this, yes. put it on the backside, yeah, put exactly. it back together and it's push like it forward. It's delicate work in a lot of ways. And so people do that and it's expensive to have people. People are hard. And by the way, people get tired. They're not optimal. There's a lot of, of uh, challenges you have in like a, a company that's built on human labor. And so if you can help people be better at their jobs, A, you can ideally up-level them to, to more intellectual roles, but also B, you can increase the output of the whole factory entirely. So you're not thinking about a collection of individuals, but you for the first time can look at an entire system at once. So that distinction makes sense. Right. What else? What else uh, we got? Can we scroll down a little bit? 
Uh, so, so the, yeah. the, your stuff's at the top right now. So, okay. uh, passion economy. Yeah, I think there's. Oh, yeah, this is kind of something I'm thinking a lot about. Um, and this is a term that Andreas and Horowitz dude, you're forms. speaking my in my language. These are all boring ass topics. I love. Boring. <laughs> Listen, maybe it's not like five listeners, but I love boring stuff. No, people like that. We talk about that a lot. That's my like. That's my go. I mean, listen, emergence. Everything we do is is boring. But like, it makes way more it. money. It's. I think so. Yeah, these are things that do really well. And by the way, boring is good. The more like sexy, big, to, like press and tech stuff you get the more competition you have for that slice of your market if you are boring under the radar like viva great example right no one knows who they are multi-billion dollar company that only raised one round of funding in, in, a, in a huge like big whale hunting market yeah that's magic that's that's the kind of like that's the dream scenario because you can really walk that tightrope of raising money and still owning a ton of your how business. much did they raise uh we put in seven i don't know i think they only in total raised like 10 and then went public on that which is obscenely capital efficient. For That's them. crazy. I haven't even heard of this. What's their market yeah. cap? Ooh, I want to say it's like 20 bill now. But I'm what the fuck? I feel like I know of all the cool shit. This is like, this, awesome. This thing, yeah. it's not, it's not Sam's upset crazy. at himself. <laughs> How can I let this get by me? What do they make? Uh, sorry, say again. What do they make? In like revenue? Or in no. the product? Yeah. It's think about like everything Salesforce is for sales managers. It's a CRM or a CRM-esque tool just for pharmaceutical companies. So like for research, for clinical trials, for managing new drug development pipelines, like all this kind of wonky, gorpy stuff that no one from the outside looks at that is hugely lucrative. Did the founders work? And they, they had to have worked in that industry. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I believe, actually I should know stuff off the top of my head, but I believe uh, one was from the industry and I believe one maybe even came from Salesforce or had some Salesforce background beforehand too. Because how do you even find that that's a problem that you have yeah. to make? I mean, it's how, it's always helpful when you can come from the industry you're tackling because not only do you know like where all the boring, gorpy stuff that's not public visible is, you also know which of those are good business ideas. There's a lot of boring stuff that yeah. is impossible to go after or not possible unless you have millions of dollars to burn, which is less attractive. So this idea of like passion economy, think about for a minute, all right, there's like a long tail of people who are building really small businesses. In some cases like- one- Podcasters. Podcasters are a great example of that, right? Podcasters- Newsletter writers are kind of the classic examples. Anybody who's on Patreon, like there's a huge long tail of these folks. And streamers, YouTubers, YouTubers, anybody on Twitch, right? Writers, OnlyFans, right? There's literally a huge tail of these people. And today, there's a lot of work that there's some software that's starting to be developed to make their jobs easier. So I don't know what you guys use to distribute this podcast, but like Substack for newsletters is a kind of a classic example of this, yep. right? Patreon for creatives in general. I think that's a horrible business. I so, like that you call it Patreon yeah, as well. Yeah, I call it Patreon. It's, a, it's, it's nice. Like it's a, nice. It's nice. Patreon. Like a, like a Patreon. Like a Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. Uh, you know, I, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that's learning, right. Learning in real life. Welcome to the passion economy. Yeah, the passion economy is so <laughs> That's the password to get in. <laughs> uh, Patreon. But like, it's interesting because some of them are, are, are not good businesses. But some of them, the whole business is just collecting payments and having a huge margin on top, which is a really great, like GoFundMe is a great business because the whole thing is cash comes in, you take your margin on top and you distribute cash out. So it's a really easy business to run. Um, anyway, you think about, okay, so there's a long tail of these folks and there's a lot, the people who have been doing the long tail to date have been focused mostly on creatives. Like a lot of people who produce or create new products or content. I think there's a similar long tail emerging in the world of like professional services. 
think about anybody who's like a one or two man consultant shop, anybody who's like a tiny little law firm in kind of middle of nowhere, anybody who's like a two or three person accounting firm, and think about the fact they're probably very good at running their specific business. They're, they're probably great at being a local doctor, a local accountant, a local uh, lawyer, but they're not great at all the stuff around running the business, like collecting invoices on time, you know, having docs and setting up documents in a secure way, generating documents you use 30 times a month. And I think there's an opportunity to build a pretty low cap, like capital efficient business that just rolls up like five or six features around these and then picks a vertical and just sells aggressively into this SMB long tail of them. What features? Probably the, like some of us are saying, like invoicing is a kind of classic one where you can just collect cash flow, build margins, send cash flow back out. Uh, document generations are really good ones. So if you're an attorney and every you know week you have a new client who comes in and they have to submit the same like five pieces of information, Maybe some of them use DocuSign, but DocuSign is expensive. If you're like a two-man, you know, a, a law firm in like Idaho, you're not going to spend a thousand bucks a month on a DocuSign subscription, so you can have your four clients a month fill out a form, right? And so it's the generation of the form, it's filling it in. Again, these are like boring features. This is not a tech problem that needs to be solved, but there's a massive distribution opportunity in the long tail. Right. You, here, let me. Can I chime in on this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I'm a co-owner in a small software company that makes fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. and it's a checklist software. Mm-hmm. Um, we try. So here's what we did. Yeah, checklist as in like to do list. Yeah, to do list. Yeah. Yeah. And what we did was we I bought it. Yeah. And we tripled prices, and that's all we did. Yeah. And we just made a lot more money. <laughs> I mean, do you know the guys at uh, Tiny? He's my friend. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's, I'm telling you things you already know. Like, that's a great model. Yeah, that's what we did. We bought a company for single digit, hundreds of thousands of dollars, triple or quadruple the prices. I mean, we're talking like $2.99 a month yeah. to like $8.99 yeah, yeah. a month. Uh, no big deal. Uh, then what we tried to do was we learned that selling things that are $8 a month is really hard. Yeah. Um, and so what we did was we looked at who uses us and we went to... we hard in, hard in what way? What do you mean by that? Uh, it costs... It's really hard to acquire customers. So you can't spend on... If you're acquiring someone yeah. for a $5 a month product, that means it's $60 a year. And it's really hard to spend money on advertising to get a customer properly okay. for yeah. $60 a year. You could blog yeah. and build a brand, but that's a little bit harder for guys like me who are just buying companies that only make money and not like making, yeah. it, making it like a personality-driven thing. And by the way, it's hard, too, because you can't invest in customer success then, too. So every time you churn somebody, right. there's, like, there's not a, a mechanism in place. This, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see often mechanisms in place that capture those folks in a profitable way if you're selling $10 a month software. Yeah, it only works if like you're buffer and you could like pick yeah. your face behind it and exactly. you'd be like, oh, this is I buy it because this guy I follow this guy on Twitter. For us, we were just buying them. It was just cash cow. Yeah. It still is a miniature. Um, and so what we did was we looked at which industries use it the most. And for some reason, this one company that was a dentist had a lot of their customers on it. And so we our vision was let's talk to them and build something for them where they any job that has a to do list let's build something yeah. just for them and see if we can do like a dentist to-do list. Yeah. And we did it and, it, and and what we found was it was really hard to go after these small businesses because even then when we raised prices, it was prohibitively expensive to go after these small to medium-sized yeah. customers. It was very expensive and very hard. And so my opinion with that is that an idea like that that goes after these people 
only makes sense if you're gonna if you have an interesting way to get your product into their hands. That's exactly right. This is not a tech problem; it's a distribution problem. I think you said it really well. And people don't, typically don't understand that. They say, yeah. "Well, I've created this interesting thing, therefore everyone will buy it." Yeah. They're actually unfortunately wrong. I think that what I always say is, if you have amazing distribution in a shit product, you're gonna win. If yeah. you have amazing distribution in an amazing product, you're gonna dominate. Yeah. And so it's kind of like Kylie Car. What's the fucking it's Kylie Car Jenner? Kylie Jenner. Dude, it doesn't matter what yeah. the fuck she sells. It's gonna crush it. You're right. She has a huge distribution channel she owns, but this is a relationship with you know millions and millions of people. And by the way, that's what I think about my startup back in 2011. We fell into the trap you just said a second ago. We built a really great product. They've spent so much time and effort on product, and we had no idea how to distribute it to this long tail of like schools and teachers are trying to sell to, right? It's like the hardest people to sell to. Oh, impossible because the person who buys is not the person who pays. There's like, you have this crazy cash crunch every month where it's like, oh, even though I have committed ARR of, you know, 100 grand, whatever it is, 100K, I in fact have real ARR of zero because it goes through like provisioning, goes through um, the accounting cycle, like in the district, is you don't get the money for six months after they actually sign the contract. And you die in that six months, by the way. Um, yeah, this is gen- generically, this is like the, what they call the SMB problem, right? Uh, and so, some people crack it, and when you do crack it, it works. Like even in education, I really want to have the guys from Mystery Science on because yeah. I feel like they actually have cracked this problem um, or more than anybody else I've seen in that space where they said you know, 50% of elementary schools use yeah. Mystery Science. And like, there's actually That's an amazing penetration. There's a calculator that you can use to do this, but you could, my, in my opinion, I'm going to launch another software pro- or I'm going to launch a software product one day. What I'm going to do is make sure uh, that it costs enough money that I, I could hire a sales team. Yeah. And I think that number is the minimum would probably be five or 10 grand a month. Well, or sorry, a, a year. There's this trend right now where it's very sexy and fun to say we're bottoms up adoption and we're growing bottoms up. We no, fuck that. that. Well, listen, look at, I'll go through the S1s of all these major tech companies that have gone public in the last two years. Look at Zoom, which we're in, look at PagerDuty, look at Slack. And look at where their revenue comes from. I think it's like Slack, like five of their, or maybe it's another one, but like five, in many cases, five of their customers have like 30% of their revenue. It's super, super concentrated in just a few huge customers. And so the bottoms up motion can, it actually can work in early days and it works for a little bit. But when you get big enough that you have a billion dollar outcome, you need big whales to actually pay for the whole company. So at our company, I didn't want to, I was like that. I was like, I'm not going to hire a sales team. And we did. And it was like putting a match on the fuel. 100%. And normally with B2B, you said something like five to 10K per year per customer. That's too low because like if you're going to actually have a sales force, right? Like a fully loaded salesperson, they're like, uh, you know, 200 grand or whatever. So I guess what I mean is there's actually a stat that shows like the companies that achieve a hundred million ARR, there's like a dead zone. So you either need yeah. loads and loads and loads of customers at a really affordable rate of like $100 a month, or you have to start minimum five, five Gs yeah. a year. Right. Um, but in, for, in order to have a sales team, I think that uh, for software, what's the sales quota? $500,000 a year? 
There's a there's, so David Sachs, who was the founder of Yammer, uh, put out a, a beautiful post uh, or maybe it's a YouTube video that says how to how to build your sales team. And he's like, look, I didn't know this when I got into it. We started Yammer. We thought we were going to get this bottoms up adoption. Then we needed to make money. They did actually get bottoms up adoption, but they didn't make bottoms up revenue. Yeah, that's a good and and so the, they got the product in, and then they go to the CIO and they're like, hey, every you know, twenty percent of your employees are using this. Don't you want control over this? And so uh, then he just walks through. He's like, look. This thing, you don't need to be um, a genius. Like, just follow the playbook. Don't try to deviate and invent your own sales system. What's like, the playbook? And so he was. Uh, so he walks through it. I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head, but he walks through it on YouTube. He's like, "Look, uh, here's how you calculate your comp for your salespeople. Here's how you calculate your quotas. There's these two options. You're either going to go with this path or this path. Depends on the price of your product. And here's how you need to think about it. Uh, here's when you hire, you know, sort of a sales manager. And here's what you. Ha- here's how you compensate them. And he literally just lays it out, and it's like, oh, this is if you're somebody who's in that who's you know building your sales organization and you kind of don't know what you're doing just google david Sachs youtube how to build your sales team or whatever and you'll find uh this youtube video with like 100 views but it's great Sachs is the best he's super smart on this and he's obviously done it a bunch of times what i think is interesting is you know sam what you said earlier like when we come into companies one of the first things we help them do is just triple prices and that is that's the same thing if it's a 5k arr or a 5k acv same thing if it's a doesn't matter what it is yeah you almost always can price things significantly higher than you think you can and generally like the companies we work with you want to see them at a minimum like 25k acv that's like that if you're having if you have 25k accounts like that's twenty five thousand dollar accounts rather that's where a year you, yeah a year that's where you start to see some real leverage from running on a sales team if you if you're a little under that it can be a little bit tough to break even on this here's team. a little trick to make money i i don't think it's the easiest way but this is a small trick Find a business, and you could buy these businesses for cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, find a business that's engineering-led. So someone who made the software, built it, okay? And you could buy these companies for as cheap as $10,000 or all the way up to billion. I mean, it doesn't matter. But you could buy, there's all these Quiet Life Brokerage, who sponsored this, is one of them. You could find these widgets or whatever. Um, you can buy them for one times revenue. And if it's too expensive for you, you can put a small business loan. You could put only 10% down. So you could buy a $100,000 business that make, that for 10 grand. And if it's engineering led, the likelihood that the pricing is wrong is high. Yeah. So you literally just need to buy a product, okay? And just change the number on... <laughs> command F on yeah, the price. Yeah, like command F dollar sign. Boom, lives, you're, like, a, you're a coder now. Price, okay? <laughs> yeah. And put a zero. Like, so if it's like... One dollar a month, yeah. make it ten dollars a month. If it's ten dollars a month, make it a hundred dollars a month. And if that's all you did, yeah. people will bitch and complain to you. Customers might bitch and complain to you. The numbers will likely stay the same, except for the revenue will change. Yeah, that is like most people are shocked by that. No, it's it's it is always surprising the price elasticity of most customers. Like if you have a good product, not even a great product, a good one, an average product. Most people will pay so much more than you think. But engineers in particular are always guilty of this. (laughs) And by the way, that's the same thing too. If you are even a decent marketer, buying one of these businesses is a huge opportunity for you. Because A, you could just jack up prices you're so aptly pointed out. And B, if you can even get like 1% more efficient at acquiring customers, between that and higher prices, you basically built yourself a substantial flywheel that can really be a a multi-million dollar business. One of the best uh, Twitter guys to follow if you want enterprise stuff is this guy chathan from yeah, benchmark yeah, yeah he's great just follow this guy it's c-h-e-t-a-n and then the letter p so chathan p yeah, that we're it, plugging him on the show and i'll listen to it yeah he's great uh good guy too um 
his, literally, he'll just summarize a whole business in a tweet, and you'll learn a lot about how these enterprise businesses are structured uh, just from following this guy on Twitter. And um, so that's good. What are some of the sort of uh, different different companies you wanted to call out? So what's Guru? Yeah, so Guru is a company that we're. I'll, I'll talk my own book. We're investors. I have two here. I, I listed one. I like that, that phrase. Talk my own book. I gotta. I'm sorry, I, using that. I love, listen, any opportunity I can, uh, 25. Talking to some fucking 25. Look at this guy. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, no, no, it's all good. Here's what I'll so say. So Guru. Guru is, we have this broader idea that there's like a whole bunch of AI companies that exist, people are investing in. And a lot of the AI businesses that are out there are centered around replacing the ability of people to do their job. We think there's money in that. There's a lot of money in that. We think there's a bigger opportunity, much larger in not replacing people, but augmenting them to do their job better. So for example, think for a minute, um, if you have a tool that could write sales emails for you, right? Maybe it, it does a pretty good job, maybe it's not perfect, but AI is, there's a long way to go before we get to true AI. And so it probably is like doing the job of your you know fourth or fifth best SDR, not your number one salesperson, but your middle of the tier salesperson. We think the promise of these AI-enabled businesses is they can learn what is the best salesperson your business do that's different from the 30th or 40th best salesperson in your business. And then you help teach those 30 or 40th ranked people to act more like the top one. How the hell do you do that? Well, here's the idea. You can listen to, uh, every, almost everything is quantifiable. So you can listen to a conversation. If I'm talking to you and you're a prospect and I'm trying to get you to, to buy my product, maybe you have an objection that you bring up. You say, oh, it's too expensive. Or, oh, we use this thing as an integrate with whatever. And I flub it. I have no idea how to handle that objection. And the call goes really poorly. And you're like, I'm never going to work with this company at the end. We're done. The idea of like a lot of these businesses is you can hear what is the top ranked salesperson do uh, that like how do they handle the objection really well. And no sales coach or sales manager can sit in on every sales call in your business right. and actually understand the way that you respond to every objection. But an AI tool can sit in on every call in your business. Is that any really good? This guru so, so what's the so, so what's that, the so that's um, the broad concept? Guru. What's the URL? Yeah, Guru. It's what's the? It's uh. It's not Git Guru. No, it is Git Guru. Oh, it is so, Git Guru. Yeah, but I was okay. what I was describing is like the thesis broadly. What Guru? They should use that to teach dudes how to meet girls. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's Sam's like, really wow. in this like uh, you know college yeah. days. <laughs> Enjoy, you know. My thing with business is like the best products you to help people get laid helps them make money. Mm -hmm. Or that's probably it, actually. Made, paid, laid. That's the... What is it? Made, paid, or laid. What's made? Famous. Yeah. So fame, money, or get laid. There. Okay. Yeah. There's All a right. phrase for it. <laughs> and so when I hear get guru, I yeah. think, okay, cool. You're going to teach companies how to get more sales. Love it. Yeah. But like, I just think that all this is like an early yeah. stage thing, and it's like on the cutting edge. I just think that... The set, the sex industry is at the forefront of everything interesting. Yeah. So the internet. So it listens more, to you have sex. What? It listens <laughs> to you have sex, and then it tells you some tips. Well, Maybe yeah. you want to last let's a little cut, longer. Let's, let's like, cut that part out. <laughs> like, like video streaming, uh, yeah. the DVD, DVDs. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It was all porn. I think that Oculus, yeah. if, if they let the porn guys get a hold of it, it's going to make it way better. That's what I would do with this if I was yeah. just... Like, I mean, no, it's true. Listen, you can think about a lot of consumer applications. Obviously, the sex industry is a big one. Another one's like the, the example I always think about is you want to learn to play guitar, right? You're kind of limited because A, you're going to learn from whoever the local guitarist who can teach you is. And maybe they're not a very good teacher or maybe they're just frankly not a very good guitar player. And so at some point, you're going to hit a wall where you can't learn anything more from them. But if instead you could learn from an AI that's been trained on all the best guitar performances in history... 
and all the best teachers in the world, wouldn't you learn better and faster how to be a good guitarist? Ideally. I, by the way, who knows? So, so he, here's an idea that's like that that is working. Elsa AI. Are yeah. you familiar? Yeah. yeah. So, Elsa. Elsa. So correct me if I'm wrong because I only know the surface level. Elsa is basically well, for Elsa. English language learning. Um, so there's a lot of people, you know, especially in Asia, who really desperately want to learn English. Um, and so Elsa, what Elsa is, they don't want to just learn English to read it. They want to speak it. Right. right. Like if, yeah. I, if I want to learn English, it's because I want to speak English. And so what they do is yeah, they it. have you, you speak into the mic of your phone and it basically corrects your pronunciation. Yeah. So it's like a really smart insight. Like my mom's, you know, her insecurity with her English when she was, you know, first moving to America was not, do I know the vocabulary, but does it sound right? Do I? Yeah. Is, this is awesome. And so these guys were making, Elsa. you know, a while back. Yeah. So they were. They had crazy stats. Uh, so I think I think Vietnam was their biggest market at the time. Yeah, they were doing like I forgot what it was. It was, it was like I think like six million a year already annual from their just like in-app subscriptions of people paying for their pronunciation coach, their AI pronunciation coach. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, this is a genius idea because yeah. there's I I don't know, know the exact number, but there's in the hundreds of millions of people who are trying to learn English at any given time. And this is a sort of novel take that I think resonates mm -hmm. because pronunciation is so important and so hard to come by. Awesome. Yeah, that's a really good example. And so you could imagine like basically infinite applications of the same type of tech and Guru was one of them. So how do you build this Guru? Like yeah. if I'm building this, if I want to start this from scratch, what do I have to do? Yeah, it's a hard business to build because what you need is a data set to learn from. And what you need is not just a data set to learn from that's static, but one that continually evolves over time. So an example of Guru, they do kind of the, the sales uh, example I just talked through. That's similar work, but for customer success. So you could think about it sits in your knowledge base, becomes your knowledge base. And as your customer success or customer support agents are responding to inquiries, it actually knows what they need to say back and the content from your knowledge base they need to reference and then brings it up to them in real time. So they're not spending five minutes searching for an article in JIRA that was written 10 years ago that may or may not describe the actual scenario they're dealing so with. So they'll today. like read your email? It sits, it, well, it sits alongside, like usually it's, it's, yeah, it could be email, it could be customer chat. Like it sits alongside the method of interaction. But your companies or all companies? Ah, good question. So it, it sits in the uh, in your company. Internal. Yeah, internal. internal. It's internal. So that would only work then if you had a huge... You need, you, you need repository of, of like cor yeah. a corpus of data. That's it's, pretty cool. It's, it's an enterprise cool. tool. It's a so then if I wanted to start with these companies, I would look so, at so something that has a lot of information. So what are yeah. other examples you think? So we have another... Language one. is a great one. So Language like, for example, you, you, need a, you need a big... You need training data. Uh, so yeah. so the tools for this have all become pretty democratized. So like mm -hmm. Google and whatnot, Facebook, they've basically open sourced a lot of their ML stuff, the models and whatnot. So now, you know, people on our team, um, you know, who are, let's call like, uh, they're not PhD in machine learning or AI, right? Yeah. They're just like engineers, capable, smart engineers. They are able to, in a couple of weeks, take stuff that's off the shelf, ML tools that are off the shelf, customize it for this application like when we did it at bebo we wanted to say hey watch this per watch this video game stream so watch a video um game video and tell us what's happening when somebody gets a kill when they win when they lose when they die whatever right and we were able to train a computer vision system within i don't know two months to be able to detect in real time what's happening in a game as if somebody yeah. was watching it and then we used it to score esports and do like refereeing and scorekeeping and all this. We automated esports, which is like a goofy application of it, but it was so easy given where the tools are. So, for example, if you had a corpus of data like, I don't know, like all the YouTube videos that are out there for like some topic or whatever, 
um, you can train you can train your systems off of either data that you have or just public data that's out there, books and whatnot. This depends what you're, what the applications you're trying to do. Yeah. So for language learning, you, you need a whole bunch of people who are speaking and then you have to go in and label it and correct it and say, okay, when this person said this thing that was incorrect, here's what it should be. And that's hard. But, uh, but once you build that data set, you can sort of get the flywheel going. That's and that's where the opportunity is. The opportunity is having either a unique data set or a unique take on that data set. Like the, the challenge, the reason why it can be hard to build this kind of business is you have to have some set of data that everybody in the world doesn't have because as you said, the tools to make use of the data are publicly available. And so whether it's like, we have another one in our portfolio called Textio, which is similar, it's kind of the same idea for job posts, right? It's the idea is if you're writing yeah, a job post. Yeah, I saw post, this, yeah. So you might have seen it. Yeah. You write a job post and it tells you how to make it better, but how to make your job post better. So it started like that. And now what it does is you can just say, I want to hire a junior web designer. And, and it, it writes knows, it. And it writes the whole thing for you. So you yeah, go that's from the so writer smart. to the editor. That's so smart. Right? And so what, they, what most people do anyways is just go copy their competitor's job postings exactly. and, then, and use it anyways. You so. hear another thing that, that you could do is, um, I think Axios is doing this and now I understand a little bit why. So. Axios, um, you know, they're yeah. like us, or I guess we're like them. They started first, and they have a bunch of newsletters. Um, and what they, what they're doing is they're building this technology that optimizes your newsletter, your internal company newsletter, for best practices. So if you're Smart. fucking Salesforce or Morgan Stanley, to be more concise, right? Yeah, and yeah. you're the head of HR, and you need to make sure that all ten thousand of your employees understand, really understand. this new policy. It, that, I'm a believer in that. Really if fun. dude, if Grammarly can be as big as it is, yeah. that shows how much people care about the quality and the sort of looking smart and being smart in their writing. And so, if you can help people be more concise, dude, look at how much I'm talking. Dude, imagine if I could be more concise. That would be amazing. I think this actually that actually could be a big business, which is yeah. it. So it would be all about making people concise. Just making people understand information faster via yeah. email. Right. Okay, that sounds so small. And then yeah, I'll make it even huge. smaller in nature, which is the HR company or the HR department. Make sure employees understand new mm. policies. Internal make sure emails. employees know what the coronavirus and what they have to yeah. do. And then what I, here's what I would build is I would build a, basically a MailChimp for internal companies. And at the bottom, I'd be like, to confirm that you read this, click this. Right. And then if you didn't click it in 24 hours, you get you didn't. Click I like it. this Mailchimp internal thing. That is actually really yeah. smart. I, that, that's what that's I one build. of the better ideas that's come out of this podcast. I would build that if someone wants to build that content. Yeah, you should build that. I think that is a great idea, and I would charge. Forget the AI. Just Mailchimp for yeah. internal companies well, that has but the what feedback you can loop. Do is you can crawl all the most successful yep. emails of all time, uh, which is, there's data yep. for that. Yeah. Like for example, my company. I have uh, how many fucking emails have we sent? We've probably sent half a billion emails yeah. i could i could i have all that saved on sengrid fuck i would work with sengrid and be like hey let's right. talk about this <laughs> and that's really smart because again you have that proprietary data set that nobody else has that they haven't built out years and years and years of emails that are sent. how much how big of checks do you write <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, talk, exactly. talk offline yeah. yeah you can be in that book of business <laughs> yeah. I, I, i'll talk my book for you let's, let's talk book podcast. real quick so, yeah, because right. this, just check this out for, at my company we've created all these sales training things and i've written all these long blog posts and yeah. i'm like no one's gonna fucking read this dude i send hell. your how to write better your writer guide what's it called your copy guide or your writing guide i, don't know I sent that. that to people on my team for many years i've been doing that really oh, yeah wow. <laughs> you also have this tweet that i love that's basically i don't think you didn't do this but you stole it from somebody i think it's like um it's like a paragraph and it's like look at these sentences oh, it's every sentence has five thing. words 
So I've been preaching that shit forever. It's how to make your writing sick. So that is something where you can just do a Grammarly style analysis over the over somebody's email and be like, hey, suggestion, break it up this way. Because now, look how punchy your email is. Because right? a lot of people don't realize there's, so here, I'll tell you. There's the a secrets, science to is, this. Keep sentences below 25 words. Average paragraph, you want to be three or four sentences. Mm. You need to vary up your, your length, in a, length. In, a, in a certain way. If there's a comma, put a period instead. Um, no, yeah. a, no adjectives or no, no adverbs. No right? adverbs. Like there is totally math behind this. Yeah, it's, I mean, I would love to get better at it because again, it's not. I also think it's not a skill you get from talking. You can talk a lot and be a terrible writer because none of these rules are obvious, or at least to me, they're not obvious. Cause I'm not a writer. Right, and you have you're not realistically most people, even when they read this, like, oh yeah, huh, that's cool. You that that paragraph is that? better. Uh, oh, how yeah. do I? Yeah, how I do I use it to get better? After this, I want to buy that company and yeah. deploy it in this way and make way more money yeah hemingway should be built into your email client it should be built in right that's the problem with hemingways it's a separate well, standalone app you gotta check out textio because that's where they live now you can stick and well, stick this guy talking his book already yeah, i'm talking about <laughs> book constantly i can't help myself so far this is the most this is going to be the most lucrative episode for me yeah. personally yeah. <laughs> and this is like the great oh. founder fit for you is like i like helping this. people send better email uh okay anything else that we should talk about before we go we, we're sort of over time yeah. i think oh, we are yeah we're 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 I have, I have we are we are at the hour. Um, anything else that you loved? Nah, listen, these are all really good. One of his notes says a microwave that doesn't beep. At that's the mine. End. That's mine. That's, <laughs> I wish. What are you I gonna wish call I was smart enough to come up. So, so, so <laughs> I this, wish I was smart enough to come so up. So I stole this from a, my my homie Farza in his Instagram story yesterday. He goes, guys, I got it. A microwave that doesn't beep at the fucking end because it is so annoying when your microwave just starts <laughs> beeping at the end just a silent oh, this guy farza so farza, he has smoke he, more weed so okay. he, he actually has a great a great little startup i'll bring it up actually it's, it's sort of related to what you were talking yeah. about earlier i was going to bring it up then so he was like he's looking into homeschooling and we might actually bring him on and do a office hours with him because he needs some help uh like coaching in his business but he's like a young guy he's interested in homeschooling he wishes that he was homeschooled and he's like more people need to be homeschooled so he's like, okay, homeschooling is on the rise. I think it's at like, whatever, let's call it 3%, uh, which is bigger than you'd expect. But why isn't it bigger? And so his philosophy was, it's not bigger because if you ever tried to start a homeschool as a parent, there's all this like complexity of like, oh, I got to file this paperwork and every state has different rules. And then I got to take a photo of my kid That's every cool. day, blah, blah, blah. So he's building Stripe Atlas for homeschooling. Yeah, Push a button, you yeah, spin up your homeschool, smart. it's compliant in your state, and it sets you up to, for success in two minutes. And so, like the idea a lot, we're gonna bring him in, we'll do an uh, office hour. How much uh, money has he raised? Yeah, uh, it's gonna be a episode for me too. Just from his uh, couple f uh, friends and family, he's raised some I like uh, that. Some, some the money. only problem is you gotta deal with are you homeschooled? No. All right, you got to deal with fucking people who homeschooled. <laughs> like, wait, wait. I like how you checked. If, if he said yes, what would the answer He would have still yeah. said. I would have said no offense. <laughs> 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 I don't want to deal with, like, no disrespect to people who are homeschooled, but, like... That'd be dope if we just had a huge homeschooled audience. It's like right, dealing with all, writing in tomorrow. If parents are just having their kids letters. listen it's to like this. It's like dealing with vegans, right? Like I'm not against veganism. I just don't want to like hang. It's like I love going to an improv show. I just don't want to hang out with a bunch of nerds who do improv. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like how Sam just at the end of the episode was like yeah, empties the clip of like you know <laughs> controversial opinions. Hold on, before we go. Um, <laughs> all right, where should people find you? How do they follow you? Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at ZCK, so it's nice and short. ZCK. ZCK. That's a good handle. Yeah, it's yeah a when short did you handle. join Twitter? I don't know, like 20, 2010. When he was 14? Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I was first in business. The womb. It was my embryo <laughs> that joined Twitter for me. It's not the good handle. 
Um, and honestly, I mean, listen, you DM me. That's how we got in touch. Like, I love when people DM me if you're starting a great business, particularly if it's in the spaces we're talking about. I would love to hear from you. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. Yeah. Just remember, don't shake anyone's hand. Coronavirus is and out there. Like or subscribe, then unsubscribe and subscribe again. <laughs> and record this on your iPhone. You can do it by swiping as if you're going to turn Wi-Fi on and off. Send Sean or me on Twitter a video of this and ask any question and we'll answer it.